Amen. You may be seated. So as I said at the beginning of the service, we're continuing in this series that we're calling A Rising Tide, in which we're looking at the role that accountability plays in the life of the church. And specifically, we're looking at the role that accountability plays when it comes to leadership. That's what we're talking about this weekend, is what is the relationship between leadership and accountability? And so uh, as we prepare our hearts to receive the message God has for us, uh, I would please ask you to bow your heads and to pray together with me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks for this time together in which we have an opportunity to grow side by side as a family of faith. And Lord, as we are looking at this subject of accountability, what it means to devote our lives, not just to you, but to one another, Lord, we pray that you would indeed teach us, that you would use this time to uh, to form and, and shape us as your people. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you do a quick podcast search on uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Chris, can you reset that for me? If you do a quick podcast search on Apple Podcasts for the word leadership, if you just looked at the word leadership, uh, what you would find is that there's, an, there's a whole host of podcasts out there. In fact, uh, one of the things I found kind of frustrating is actually when I put in leadership, I just want to see, well, what's the total number of searches? And it, and it wouldn't even show me that. So what I had to do is I actually had to start scrolling, and I kept scrolling and counting, and I found over 500 uh, podcasts on leadership. In fact, I counted to 520, and then I was just like, I'm just giving up because I'm getting tired of scrolling. Because there's so many podcasts out there about leadership. Our our society, our culture uh, is is interested in this subject. People want to know, what does it mean to lead, but also to lead well? That's the question many people are asking. And there are conferences and books and and podcasts and courses and, and coaching networks all devoted to helping people become a better leaders. And yet, even with this incredible interest in the topic of leadership, I have found that there's kind of a conundrum when it comes to leadership, uh, both outside the church and inside the church. And here's the conundrum. I found that outside the church, everybody wants to lead. Well, almost everybody wants to lead in some capacity. Uh, Everybody wants to be in charge in, in some way, but very few people actually want to follow. Like, I bet you if I were to enter a search term for followership in podcasts, I I bet I know how many you'd have. You'd have, like, zero. That just isn't a term that we want to study. Everyone wants to be a leader. Very few people want to follow. But then you get inside the church, and what do we find? Well, nobody wants to lead, and very few people want to follow. So it's really a conundrum, especially if you're like a pastor or in church leadership, because nobody wants to step into leadership. Very few people want to follow. Everybody has an opinion uh, and stuff like that. And, and one of the most challenging things that I have found, honestly, is in the church is when you ask someone to lead. When you say, would you lead a volunteer team? Would you lead a small group? Would you lead a mission trip? Would you lead in our youth ministry? Would you lead? Nobody wants to lead. And yet, when I then say, okay, so this is what we're doing for small groups, everybody suddenly has an opinion. So so what do we do? Well, I think what we need to do is I think we need to get our, our minds, we need to reframe our minds and our hearts around what biblical leadership actually looks like. Because when we understand what biblical leadership actually looks like, not only do we see it as an incredible invitation, but as a privilege. 
Because one of the things that the Bible affirms over and over and over again is that actually leadership is a gift. But not just for those who lead, but for all of us. I love this passage from Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. In many ways, I would say that this is like my go-to passage when people ask me, what, what does it mean to be a leader in the church? And I love what Paul says. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What Paul makes abundantly clear to all of us is that leaders are a gift. They're God's gift. They're God's gift to us as his people so that we might grow into maturity in Jesus. That's the reason leaders are given. And that's actually why leaders exist. One of the things that I love about this passage is he says that he gives these leaders to equip his people for works of service. And actually that, that word that the NIV translates service is actually the word ministry. Which basically means that it's not the pastors who are supposed to do the ministry. It's all y'all. All of us together are meant to do the ministry. And the role of leaders is to equip everyone to do that calling, to live out that mission together. Leaders are a gift, God's gift to the church. So what does leadership actually look like? What does it mean to both lead as well as to follow? Well, for that, I want us to turn to that passage that we read a few moments ago from 1 Peter chapter 5. Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, we find a model for leaders and for those who follow them. A model for leaders and for those who follow them. So again, if you've got your Bible, why don't you open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. One of the things that we find in 1 Peter 5 is first and foremost, we find the motivation of a leader. We find the methods of a leader, and we find the mission of a leader. The motivation, the methods, and the mission. Let's first tackle the motivation of a leader. It says this, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. See, Peter's writing to fellow elders in the church, fellow leaders, and he's saying, uh, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. See, what he makes very, very clear to his fellow leaders is he's saying, We, first and foremost, are stewards. That when we lead, we're not leading our flocks. We're leading his flock. We're leading God's flock. We're leading God's people. You see, what leaders understand, leaders who've really dwelt on what it means to be leaders biblically, is that leaders understand that ultimately their leadership is accountable to Jesus. That it's his people that, he's caring, that they are caring for. And I think that when Peter was writing this and adopting the language of shepherd and sheep, I think he was thinking back to a very pivotal moment in his own life when he had a conversation with Jesus. It was actually after Jesus' resurrection, and, and we know what had happened just a few days before, right? Jesus ended up being arrested, ended up being put on trial, and what did Peter do in that moment? He had denied Jesus three 
times. And Jesus knew this. And so when he finally met with Peter after his resurrection, he had just kind of a private chat with Peter where they went on a walk together. And three times he asks Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times Jesus tells him to take care of my sheep. See, what he wants Peter to understand is that his caring for his people is a direct reflection of his love for Jesus. That we as leaders are called to lead and to shepherd the flock of God as an expression of our love for Christ. That when we realize how we lead reflects the depth of our love, it changes everything. That's the motivation of a leader, is to care well for the flock that Jesus himself loves. To understand that we don't serve for ourselves, and that we actually don't even serve for the flock. We serve him who is the shepherd over all. In fact, that this is something that Peter then comes back to uh, toward the end of the short passage that we read. He tells them that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He's saying we are ultimately accountable to Christ. That's our motivation. How we lead will be a reflection of our love for him. That's our motivation. So what about the methods of a leader? How is it that leaders are called to lead? Well, Peter actually gives us kind of uh, three tips about that. The first thing that he tells us is that we are to lead willingly. To lead willingly. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. But there should be this desire within us to lead other people, that we see that a way in which we serve God is by stepping into positions of leadership for the sake of building up his family and his people. You know, there is a kind of false humility that sometimes exists in the church. And what you say, you know, would you step in and be willing to lead? Would you lead a small group? Would you lead a volunteer team? Would you lead a youth group? And so on and so forth. And people say, oh, well, I don't want to be a leader. I, I want to be humble. I don't want to exalt myself. But when we do that, what we're doing is we're undercutting exactly what Peter says here. Because he says, the Lord wants you to serve willingly. I actually love how he says that. He says, serve because you're willing as God wants you to be. In fact, at another point, when, when, Peter, when, uh, when Paul is giving advice to Timothy, the young pastor Timothy, he says, if anybody desires to be an overseer, they desire a noble calling. See, what the New Testament is telling us over and over again is that we should actually desire leadership. We should desire leadership because of our desire to use our gifts well to help form and shape other people. You see, the reality is every single person who is a part of God's family has been given gifts by God that are meant to bless the rest of the family. It doesn't mean that everybody is called to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that everybody is called to be uh, the, the chair of the governing board. It doesn't mean that everybody is supposed to have the top spot. But what it does mean is that every single one of us, in some way, shape, or form, is called to lead and invest in the life of another person. And we should do so willingly, as God wants us to. 
Because one of the beauties of, of leadership is, is the fact that when you do it, when you step into it, not only are you investing intentionally in the life of another person, but you're actually growing as well. Any teacher can attest to this. How do you know you've truly learned something? Is when you start teaching it to other people. It's one thing to be a student constantly sitting under the leadership of another person. It's another thing to finally step up and to start to teach it to others because it's as you start to teach others that you actually grow. You learn it at a whole new level as you now have to live it. And as you do so, you're doing what God has called you to do because you're now investing in the life and the growth and the development of another person. Leaders lead willingly. Second thing, though, that he says about the methods of a leader is he says that we are not to pursue dishonest gain, but are to be eager to serve. We serve eagerly. We serve eagerly. Leaders have this passion to actually serve. They understand that their leadership is actually the best kind of service that they can give. And they don't do it for themselves. The question that a leader is always called to ask themselves is what, not what am I going to get out of this, but what can I give? And they're eager to give. They see leadership as service, as an opportunity to bless and to care for other people. They're willing to step into these positions and these roles and these places of authority because they want to see people grow, because they want to see the mission of the church move forward and people be developed. They serve willingly, they serve eagerly, but not for themselves, but for those that they're called to care for. And last but not least, the methods of a leader is, he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. See, leaders are called to lead gently. When Peter says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, that the phrase that he's using there is actually means to kind of beat people into submission, to exercise your authority with power in a way that bends people to your will. And he's saying that's not how leaders in God's church lead but rather they serve as examples to the flock. You see, shepherds don't shepherd the sheep by going behind them, beating them with their sticks. Rather, where are they? They're out front showing them the way. That the sheep follow because they know the shepherd's voice, because they trust the shepherd, and they understand that wherever the shepherd is going to go, it's for their good and for their safety. Why? Because the shepherd has cared for them. They understand that where the shepherd is going is ultimately meant for their good. Even if they don't know the way, even if they don't understand the path, they still follow because they trust the shepherd. Why? Because the shepherd has cared for them gently. The way the leaders are called to lead is by being examples to the flock. It means that we go first. It means that if we're going to teach our people anything, it's something that has to first be applied to us and to our own hearts. That's actually why I've really um, enjoyed this week as I've been studying this text and, and preparing for this message is because of the fact that this has been good news for me to hear as a pastor. To be reminded of what it means to lead and to lead well, willingly, eagerly, and gently. That is the method of a leader. Our motivation is because we love Jesus, we love his people. 
Our methods, we lead willingly, eagerly, and gently. And this should lead any of us who serve in any kind of leadership capacity to ask ourselves a question. Whether you're a small group leader or the leader of a volunteer team or serving in youth ministry, however, wherever God has given you gifts to lead, the question that we should ask ourselves is this, how well does my leadership match Peter's definition of this calling? How well does my leadership match Peter's definition of this calling? Do people encounter Jesus in me as I lead them? That's the question. But Peter doesn't just stop there. He then actually has advice for those of us who follow. He goes on to say the following. He says that in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. What he tells us is that those of us who serve under leaders are called to serve them in humility, to submit ourselves to their leadership. In fact, at another point in Hebrews 13, 17, the writer says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Be honest, burned out leaders don't serve very well. And there are many reasons why leaders can get burnt out. Uh, oftentimes, leaders get burnt out because we've lost sight of the mission. Uh, sometimes we, leaders get burnt out because we've gotten disconnected from the motivation or we've failed to live out the methods. But another reason the leaders get burnt out is because they get bitten by their sheep. Because sometimes it's hard to lead people who don't want to be led. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in this passage is he's saying, look, that, that not only doesn't help the leaders, it actually doesn't help you. Because when we start to treat our leaders as though they are people who can be kicked and ordered around, what ends up happening is they burn out, and then what are we left with? Nothing, a vacancy, a hole in the body of Christ, because leaders have burned out. And what the writer of Hebrews says is he says, that is of no benefit to you. To understand that leaders are a gift from God, and to find ways to submit to their authority well, recognizing that they bear a huge responsibility for their calling. The invitation here is to serve them well so that their work can be a joy and not a burden, so that together we can grow. And again, it leads us to ask ourselves a question, when was the last time I looked for ways to support and encourage my leaders? When was the last time you thanked your small group leader for leading your small group. Or we thanked a volunteer who hands you your bulletin or your communion as you walk in the door. You thank the leader of your volunteer team for the time that they took preparing the training that they so eagerly desire to give you. When was the last time you thanked your boss and said thank you for serving in the role that you do and for watching out for us and for our division and our department? When was the last time we blessed those in authority over us? It's an important question that I think we all have to ask because every single one of us serves at the pleasure of someone else. We all have leaders over us, right? But I'll also tell you a secret uh, about leadership is the greatest gift that anybody 
under my leadership has ever given me is when they come and they not only say thank you, but they then ask the question, how can I help? Not only thank you, but how can I help you? And I'll let you in on another secret, that when you ask that question, don't be surprised that the leader that you ask that question to then invites you to lead. Why? Because what they see in you is the same kind of servant attitude that every leader is called to display. But don't be surprised if when you come and you say, how can I help? They say, would you help me lead? Because I see gifts in you. Gifts that God desires to use to bless other people. That's the invitation that you may receive. And yet that's exactly the kind of thing that Peter says we're looking for, right? People who will serve willingly, who will serve eagerly, who will serve gently. People who will lead God's people well. And you see, all of this ultimately points us back to the mission of both leadership and, yes, followership. And that is ultimately to point people to Jesus. Because the only way that you're actually going to be able to lead well as well as follow well is to see how Jesus has done both for you. One of the very best passages, one of the greatest moments in all of Scripture actually takes place on the night that Jesus was betrayed. That when he and his disciples get to the upper room before they ever sit down at the meal, before he ever breaks bread or passes around the cup, what he does is he takes off his outer robe. He wraps a towel around himself and he kneels down in the dirt and washes his disciples' feet. The most demeaning job that any servant would have ever been asked to do. And yet here, their master, their lord, their rabbi, their teacher gets on his knees and joyfully, lovingly, and gently washes his disciples' feet. And after he does so, he says, see, I've set an example for you, and so you ought to do for one another. You see, in that moment, Jesus was both leading and serving. He was leading his disciples in the very same way he desired them to lead others. He was showing them that he was willing to humble himself, to take on the very nature of a servant, to ultimately give his life for them that they might live. But he was also following. He was following his Father in heaven. The same Father who sent him into the world to redeem his people. Same father who asked him to lay down his life so that broken and sinful people might be redeemed. Something that Jesus understood that he lived with every breath of his life and that ultimately in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. You see, when we see how Jesus has led us, but also how he served us, how Jesus was willing to lead, but also to follow it suddenly changes everything about how we think about leadership and service, what it means to go ahead, and what it means to follow. I love how Edmund Clowney puts it in his uh, commentary on this very passage. He says, Christian submission to authority, however, is never servile, and Christian exercise of authority is never authoritarian. Our awareness of the Lord gives dignity to our obedience and humility to our rule. In both, we serve him. 
You see, when we lead our people well and in ways that are reflective of Jesus' character and when we follow our leaders well in ways that are reflective of Jesus' submission, what do we do? In all things, we point our world to Jesus, the one who is indeed the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is indeed the one who runs ahead of us, but also the one who goes within us, around us, above us, beneath us, and behind us to encourage us. We are accountable to leaders as a gift. We lead where God has called us with joy. And we follow with servant-like humility so that in all things, Christ, our good shepherd, might be glorified. It's in his holy and precious name that we say thanks be to God.